your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Well, it's 7.39 nearly. It's certainly no secret that uh, China is playing a very key role in supporting North Korea in various different ways. Certainly an old political ally and trading partner. China also has, at least on the surface, grown increasingly frustrated with North Korea's nuclear defiance, continuing to test nuclear weapons. For example, this year, two nuclear tests and almost countless missile launches. Uh, but with the world calling for strengthened United Nations Security Council sanctions, China will presumably be put under even more pressure to try to enforce them. Uh, Go Myung-hyun, a PhD research fellow at the Asen Institute for Policy Studies, joins us on the line to talk a bit more about the suggestion that uh, a certain Chinese conglomerate has been doing uh, really beyond their call of duty to help prop up the North Korean regime. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, so the conglomerate in question is Hongjian Group, um, based in a part of China that's obviously familiar with, with North Korea, very familiar with North Korean trade. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about the, the claims that have been raised? Yeah, uh, so far uh, is, uh, what transpired is that the Hongshan, uh, Liaoning Hongshan Group, I think that's the complete name for the company, mm. uh, Liaoning Hongshan Group has been accused by the Chinese authorities of having committed serious economic crimes. Uh, we really don't know what that means. But uh, what we can uh, say is that uh, based on our report uh, jointly authored by our uh, institute and our partner in DC, uh, C4ADS, is that Liaoning um, Hongxiang uh, exported uh, prohibited dual-use items to North Korea uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, the, the, the export consisted of uh, uh, aluminum alloys and other metal alloys that could be used for uh, uh, North Korea's uranium enrichment program, which is still uh, banned by the United Nations sanctions regime. So I think uh, that's probably the, the most important central charge that the uh, Chinese authorities have laid against this company. Is there a suggestion that this problem continues, though, even after the stronger sanctions that were imposed earlier this year? Yeah, this seems to be the case. Uh, uh, I mean, we don't have. Uh, I mean, we, at this time, we only have evidence against one company. But I think if we really delve, delve into uh, the different uh, sources of information and data, I think we can find uh, other other instances where Chinese conglomerates are engaged uh, in this kind of practices and trade with North Korea. After all, the total volume of import and export the trade between North Korea and China is six billion dollars. And in case of Leoning Hongxiang, uh, uh, the, the amount of revenue that the company was driving from its trade with North Korea averaged uh, $100 million a year. So uh, you can imagine there's like, uh, at least, I mean, you can just extrapolate that uh, given the disparity between this single company's revenue size and total volume of trade, there could be several more companies like this. Yes, one would have thought. And I mean, the feeling is that some of the executives behind these companies I, I, you know, have strong feelings for North Korea and, and see themselves as, as a bridge between China and North Korea, despite everything that North Korea is doing. I, I mean, it's not just about money then, it seems. Uh, I mean, 
I think if you're, uh, I mean, if you're a businessman doing uh, dealings with the North Korea and state, uh, yeah, it's really better. It's actually, actually, it is in your interest to espouse uh, strong uh, uh, interest and also the support for uh, for what the North Korean regime is doing. I mean, after all, North Korea is an extremely politicized uh, state, so and they would like to see uh, like the, your partners are not just interested in your country, in North Korea, because of economic interest, but also because of political interest. Mm. So there's some element of self-interest there, too. And But after all, these are businessmen, and they are doing this for money rather than for political affiliation. But uh, the question will be different if uh, uh, there are Chinese state enterprises engaged in this kind of transactions in North Korean uh, state enterprises, but we haven't found any evidence evidence of that so far. Now, in your report, In China's Shadow, you have mentioned the necessity of a secondary boycott. Uh, That really does seem to be the only direction, or maybe one of the most effective directions, that new sanctions could go in, isn't it? Yeah, yes, that's uh, that's I I believe that's the case now, Uh, especially because... China uh, is, uh, even I'm talking about the Chinese government, Chinese government is unwilling to expand the scope of uh, United Nations sanctions beyond uh, what's targeting, uh, what, beyond targeting the North Korea's nuclear program. Uh, I mean, secondary sanctions, uh, the best example of secondary sanctions so far has been Iran. And the reason why Iran, or part of the reason why Iran came back to the negotiation title, uh, table was because uh, the international community was targeting uh, the United energy and other economic sectors. So in order, to, uh, in order to make the sanctions more effective, it would be uh, necessary to expand the scope of sanctions to encompass the economic power aspect. But so far, China has been unwilling to do that. So uh, by uh, uh, implementing secondary boycott targeting Chinese companies, uh, we'll be achieving uh, effects uh, that uh, we cannot achieve uh, through cooperation with China. Is there a precedent for that, though? Have we seen a secondary boycott actually change this kind of situation before, especially when a, a pretty major power like China is involved? Well, the case of Iran is uh, is, uh, is our best example. In a, I mean, the, I mean, it's not uh, in the case of Iran. There's been uh, like unilateral sanctions practiced by. Uh, not just the uh, uh, United States, but also by European Union, and and then uh, other countries such as uh, South Korea and Japan joined in, uh, part, part in part because uh, these countries wanted to support uh, uh, United States like, uh, effort and international community's effort at uh, uh, controlling. Uh, I mean, uh, to, to prevent Iran from uh, becoming a nuclear state, but also there's a threat of a secondary boycott, possible secondary boycott by uh, these countries. So yeah. uh, that's a, another one example. Another example is the case of um, uh, the Bank, Bank of Delta Asia. That's actually it's more pertinent to the case of North Korea because it took place in 2005, and it was very effective in uh, uh, having some mature effect on, on North, the North Korean regime because uh, it actually cut off uh, North Korea's access to the finance, international financial system for a couple of uh, for a certain period. Yeah, I mean, th- th- mentioning the Iran one as well recalls my memory uh, when we um, saw th- that intense pressure from the United States for South Korea to cut back on uh, Iranian oil, for example, uh, at, a, at a time when obviously South Korea needed oil and, and still needs oil um, from different sources. Um, but we have a quote here from the 
White House's National Security Council this week, a senior official there saying it doesn't matter if it's a pencil or an ounce of gold or a boatload of coal, mm. suggesting that um, UN resolutions already clearly ban the exports of any items that could be used for nuclear and missile programs. There has been this what? feeling of relaxation over certain items when, when people suggest, oh, well, you know, this wouldn't be able to really make much difference. Well, uh, I, mean, I mean, the thing is that uh, if you look at the United Nations Security Council Resolution 2270, uh, there's certain, I mean, there's clearly some elements of economic embargo against North Korea, uh, such as the ban on the export of minerals and, uh, to other countries. But there's a clear loophole there, which is the exception clause. So the exception clause allows North Korea to export uh, these uh, you know, items, uh, like prohibited items, so-called you know, mineral ores and so far. Uh, as long as it doesn't affect the livelihood of the North Korean people, but the thing is that it's very diff- very difficult to you know tear apart whether the revenue uh, gained through the export of these minerals will go to the North Korea's WMD program or North Korea's general economy. So basically, the revenue gained through North Korea's trade with the outside world goes to the same pocket. So. Uh, I mean, uh, the, I mean that categorization that I just uh, you just told me is actually uh, misleading, you know, uh, so to speak. Right. Um, it's worth pointing that out. Thank you. And um, another aspect of trade with Chinese companies are, are the other effects. Uh, for example, the the cyber infrastructure of North Korea develops. Yeah. Um, it raises non-proliferation concerns as well, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely, like. Uh, the way the North Korea's uh, overseas network has evolved over time is that uh, it has uh, increasingly uh, outsourced the, the, the actual work, the job of doing trade uh, to non-North Korean entities, such as the secretary firms based in Hong Kong, other share companies that are registered to uh, outside North, registered in outside North Korea, such as Singapore, Hong Kong, and other other places. So. In a way, it cre- creates. Uh, I mean, so, so cyber attacks is actually threatening because it's, it's difficult to trace the origin of attack. Yes. And this web of uh, offshore that North Korean linked are suspected to be linked to North Korea. This kind of a tra- uh, share company facilitates uh, the non attribution of North Korean cyber attacks. So I think that that's the reason why the combination between uh, this uh, and the North Korea's uh, pension for. Uh, you know, preferring uh, non-attributable modes of attack with uh, growing evolution in the North Korea's overseas network is uh, is actually a very uh, a worrying trend in my view. Thank you very much for sharing all your views with us this morning. Oh no, thank you for having me. Okay, Ko Young Hyun from the Asen Institute for Policy Studies, obviously giving us a, a very thorough background there into why it's so challenging to make these sanctions effective and dealing with China is arguably going to be as challenging as uh, any other country for the international community now, even with China at the centre of the UN Security Council. If you've got to share your view with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at EFM this morning. You can text us, Panasha 1013 for 51 per message.